0: Everyone, welcome back to debating metal. I'm your host Kenneth Dean, the dean of metal, along with my co-host Chris K. Today, we're doing something completely different than normal. Today, we're going to dive into what we think are career-defining albums by our favorite metal artists. We're talking about
1: albums that allowed for artists to headline arenas instead of clubs, albums that started new genres and earned these bands their biggest accolades—Grammys, platinum albums, sex, money, and drugs. Today, we're picking six albums each that
0: define the careers of some of our favorite bands. And when we're done, Chris and I are going to give you our big four life-changing metal albums. So sit back, relax, turn it up to 11, and let the debate begin. Chris, these albums that we're going to talk about, career-defining albums, there's there's probably going to be a lot of debate on this, not necessarily between you and I, but like whoever's listening... And I'm hoping this stirs up a a shit ton of commentary because, you know, there may be an album here that we picked that someone would sit to say, no, it was this album before that, or no, it was the album that came after. And that's fine. You know what? Leave the comments, you know, start the debate online, you know, and let us know and we'll, I'll write you back in a heartbeat, you know, but it's, it's so funny because this is one of those subjects where, it's definitely one of those things where you can get into a serious, heavy-duty conversation with someone else, and and have completely differing opinions. And that might happen to you and I because we haven't really talked much about these albums.
1: Yeah, I mean we we picked our our choices, and you know, some of them I I, I already kind of questioned one. We talked about a little bit, but uh, I think that's part of what the debate is. So, um. I don't know who do, who do you want to start today. Um, you made
0: me start last week, so I guess you'll start this week.
1: <laughs> All right, so I guess let's just get going. Uh, my first choice for today was uh, Pantera with "Vulgar Display of Power." Uh, the reason I picked it well, instead of, say, Cowboys from Hell, while well, well, Cowboys from Hell kind of like set up where they the direction they were going, and it was their first really well-known album. This was, you know, their 6th album, 1992. Uh this was the album that really like defined what groove metal would be. I would say it's like the groove metal blueprint even though they would get heavier with the next, you know, succeeding albums. I think this was the one that really established, you know, this is what Pantera is. This is what they, their sound is. Um they're they become this band and so many bands would emulate the things that they would do you know uh older bands that existed prior started kind of evolving into groove you know we talked about uh overkill at one point talking about how they kind of adapted the groove sound other bands did the same to to survive that were more traditional heavy metal bands before that and this this album just really took them to the next level. Cowboys from Hell started it. This took it just that many steps further. Uh, just what do you think?
0: Well, it's funny because you know when you 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 first started talking about Vulgar, you're like, oh, this is their sixth album, and yes, it is their sixth album. It's their second um, well-known album, but it's, right, it's, they, they had been a band essentially
1: for right six they've albums. Been, at
0: this point. They've been a band since 1983. You know, just as long as a lot of bands that we know. Um, from the classic thrash era, if you want to look at it, that even though they weren't thrash. But it's so funny because essentially they become, you know, from, from their fourth album, Power Metal to Cowboys, they become a completely different band. And, you know, they get signed to a major label. So it, things, I mean, it's like literally like they closed one door, opened up another door, and everything changed. And that's Absolutely. funny. Yeah. You know, so, and, and Vulgar... I agree with you. Volger gave them more opportunities. They, they really set the tone at this point. Cowboys from hell. This, if you listen carefully, there's still some little fringe melodies that, that came from their, their glam days. If you want to put it that way.
1: Well, I mean, even cemetery gates, cemetery gates is, is the right. last kind of instance of, of the, the ballad for them. You know, the, the high pitched screams there's st- even Cowboys from Hell the song still has those those screams that kind of came before whereas Phil's vocals really took a shift with this album right and 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 if you listen from Power Metal to Cowboys from Hell to Vulgar Display of Power you definitely see an evolution like there is an arc there where um, it's not just like a shift like all of a sudden they went from, if you took it power metal to vulgar display of power, you'd be like, what the hell, but (laughs) having cowboys in between, you see that like where that evolution came from.
0: Right. So, you know, we're talking about vulgar and vulgar. I mean, man, when I, I remember hearing walk and I, I didn't know anything about Pantera, but I remember hearing walk and I was like, Oh, I've heard this song before somewhere, somehow. And I was like, this is a really cool song, you know? And so, um, my, my my best friend at the time when I was living in Miami was Matt, you know, and he was like, no, all he was about was, was Pantera. I mean, he talked to Pantera all the time and I was just like, man, well, who is this band? And, you know, and then of course, you know, for me, I was still one of these people that were, uh, I can't call myself straight edge at that point. Cause I, I did have the occasional beer. I did have the occasional alcoholic drink, but I never took drugs. So I, I wasn't as straight, a as straight edge as people who live the straight edge lifestyle, but Not
1: straight edge of CM
0: Punk. No, or, or Darby Allen or whatever. But the, the issue is, um, when, when, daryl went from being diamond daryl to Dimebag. I, I it was kind of almost like a disappointment to me i think i mentioned this in a previous episode but i've let those i've let all those things go i don't care anymore about all that shit and so but at the time i did and i was kind of like i don't know if i want to get into this band because you know what they do is promote drugs you know and i was just stupid <laughs> about it. i was fucking you know uh what 20 21 years old at the time so i was an idiot Um. But anyhow, I eventually got the album, and the al- this album is amazing. And I can see why going from Cowboys, it was a big step. Um, it, it was definitely more groove. Some songs were even faster, but it's still grooved. You know, walk is just literally you can walk, and all you're doing is bopping your head the whole fucking time, you know. Yeah,
1: it's what a killer song. Oh, yeah I, I, mean, I remember the first time I heard it and i just I was so blown away i'm I, it was one of the, it took me so like a, a little bit to absorb it because it was one of those things that I'm just listening to and
0: I'm what is what is this you know <laughs> exactly I mean the album itself vulgar released four singles and walk happened to be the last single which was almost a year after the album came out The album came out in February of '92. Yeah, Walk Walk wasn't released as a single to the general public until 1993, but that doesn't mean that within that year no one knew about it because obviously it was it was selling well and it and it did sell well. But I think that's the one song, even after a year, that finally kind of it had legs, but it finally gave it you know it's you know it started running as opposed to just building. You know, it's a it's a double platinum album. It, it's it's Pantera's biggest selling album, and there's a reason why. Yeah, oh, for sure. To me, that's 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 the album. To me, that is definitely def- that has defined their career. All right. So, uh, what do you got for your first choice today? Um, my first choice is going to be Motley Crue, and it's going to be Motley Crue's "Shout at the Devil." Now, I don't know how people are going to feel about that because a lot of people, you know, sit there and say, well, Too Fast for Love is their best album. We ourselves did a head-to-head between um, this album, Shout the Devil, and Dr. Feelgood, and I believe both of us went with Shout the Devil as being the better album, but we also did a worse of First. So if I'm not mistaken, when we did this episode, you and I both had shout out the devil as the number one album, but we had number two is too fast for love. So the, the, and the reason being is yes, too fast for love set the tone. If you want to put it that way for what Motley crew would venture. And I wouldn't say would become because they change with every album, but it set the tone for them getting, you know, in the door, you know, through the door, bigger clubs, you know, aren- not even not arenas just yet, but shout at the devil blew the doors open for them and and the opportunities were great. I mean in between Too Fast for Love and Shout Out the Devil, they were they opened up for Kiss for a, for a week I think it was before Kiss threw them off the tour for what Gene Simmons labeled as bad behavior. And <laughs> and then you know they they make Shout at the Devil, they go on tour with Ozzy and be, be, besides All Hell Breaking Loose, their career just took off. You know, and bad behavior. (laughs) I was trying to do my Gene Simmons impression. Bad behavior. It's not bad. It's not bad. (laughs) Anyhow, so I mean, what do you? Obviously, I know what you think about the album, but what do you think about this album? I mean, to
1: me, the what they did with "Too Fast for Love" started things off, but they refined it for. Uh, Shout at the devil they really took it to the next level the album's more cohesive um you know there's a lot of like raw awesome stuff on the first album but it was just you know a lot of times a, a band there's you know there obviously is the sophomore slump you know some bands will hit and then they they really take off with the third album etc um but they really didn't have a sophomore slump they went right into the next album and you know after that yeah they have a couple that aren't quite as good but they still continued with the hits it wasn't like they ever just dropped
0: off until after dr feelgood really so you know, go ahead no i was gonna say what's funny about that when you say that like we, you think about theater pain I and mean, even they don't like the album th- themselves mm-hmm. but it, it had the strength of two really big songs you know the cover yeah. for, you know smoking in the boys room and then home sweet home you know, then you go to Girls, 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 and they have that the title track as well as um, Wild Side. So each of the albums, and then Feel Good, obviously it had Feel Good, it had Kicked Up My Heart, it had uh, Without You. And so it had some big singles. So they they were able to transcend what would be relatively eh, albums. You know, it, the, with the rest of the album, the rest of the songs, and the singles were so strong that it it transcended that i mean it, it made them a platinum artist but the albums weren't necessarily that great as a whole the singles were awesome
1: yes and sometimes uh, an album can succeed quite well
0: you know just
1: based on the the, the singles so. exactly
0: exactly and so they they made a career out of that and that's great you know um i mean this album had great tracks. I mean, it had uh you know, looks to kill big single the the first single on the album. Helter Skelter was the second single and, and it might it didn't really do anything. It didn't really uh move the needle for them, but they were able to release uh, a picture disc and they had a poster and you know, it was the the famous uh what they called the blood photo sessions and it it, it so it continued to establish their Persona, and then they came out with Too Young to Fall in Love, and that's when the the doors just blew wide open. MTV was playing the crap out of that song, and you know, while it only went to like, think to number ninety on the singles charts, on MTV it was it was number one every day for months. You know, and yeah, that, that's that that's a testament, you know, that maybe the the I, I would say that the people who watched MTV were more. Rockers than they were radio people for the most part. And um they just fell in love with with Molly Crew at that time. So it's it's it was a big album.
1: Yeah, and MTV obviously had such a huge impact on whether an album could succeed or fail back then.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. And just
1: giving it that airplay
0: pretty much made it a guaranteed success. I mean, while they weren't very I mean in reality, the look that they had wasn't necessarily glam. Mm -hmm. They, they had that makeup look to them anyway. You know, they put on like the the football sports, athletic looking makeup, but they, they they still, you know, they did tease the hair, but it was, they were very rough looking. It wasn't until theater that they really went glam, glam, you know, Uh, but they, they just fit that MTV style. They, 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 Primed and prompt themselves up i don't know if that was the right term <laughs> but <laughs> they you know they they teased They're not them but yeah yeah, I get you what know, you're they, yeah they got themselves you know all gussied up and they they became mtv darlings all right well let's move on to the next album so what's your next choice uh so
1: i'm gonna go with one that you you are probably not super familiar with uh, but it's an important one in the Scandinavian world. Uh, at the Gates, Slaughter of the Soul. Um, so, <clears throat> At the Gates, I had been familiar with uh, uh, pretty much after their career. Uh, I know they, they've come back since, but in 1996, they called it quits. Uh, basically, they, they started in the early 90s, I want to say 1990, and went through 1996. They They really kind of. Cultivated what was known as the Gothenburg sound. We've talked about that a couple times with bands like In Flames, Dark Tranquillity. Uh, these guys all really knew each other, crossed over bands, and it, in that Gothenburg area of Sweden, they they kind of created this new sound. And at the gates, Slaughter of the Soul, being their their last album, really was their most successful up until that point. Um, it just it was it was one of those albums that I, it really got universal acclaim when it came out. It helped define what that Gothenburg sound would be, and even though they split up afterward, there was just this this uh, presence of this album. You know, people in in the scene, people in the area. It started expanding. You know, a lot of times like we we talk about like in the early '80s. There was all the tape trading, et cetera. Well, this was another kind of explosion of that again, and the the other bands would really pick up on that the the established sound of what they had created and take it to the next level. Um, so I ended up kind of starting from the end of their career and going back because you know back then it was you're having to find CDs and especially stuff that's from overseas. It was kind of hard to find. So. um this was my entry point to the band really cool sound really good album from beginning to end i think it's one that you know 1995 that's almost almost 30 years ago at this point i hate to say that but uh it's one that um i feel like maybe gets overlooked in this generation but at least the band has come back since and I guess it was a few years back. Anders, uh, one of the Bjarler brothers, that, that uh, was the guitarist for the band, left the band, but now he's come back. So I, I want to say it was last year he actually rejoined the band. So that's kind of exciting. So it's really pretty much the the classic lineup. It's this particular lineup that's back, and at least they're you know they're still kind of touring, really playing the same kind of music. You know, they 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 left, they came back in or they, you know, they broke up, they came back in, in, in the, I want to say it was like 2010, 2011. And then they released their first album since in 2014. And it was like kind of almost like they never dropped off. They they kind of went back and just did the same thing again. So it's nice to to every once in a while you still get bands that Still pay tribute and still do do the same kind of things they did before, and you're not listening to some, you know, a band that's calling themselves the same thing, and there there's no evolution, right? Like it's different when a band's still around and they play, you know, 15 different albums, and they've they've they you see that evolution, but it's but it's nice to like if they've had a long break that they they had they don't come back and they're just a completely different band.
0: Oh, I totally understand that. Um, and it's funny because it's not a lot of times will a band take such a long break and come back with the same classic lineup that they had when they broke up. Yeah. And then to to still go through essentially one lineup change when Anders left and now he's back. So they're literally back to the classic lineup that recorded Slaughter to the Soul. So it's, uh, it's I mean, that's that's a testament to the band themselves and, and to the, the fact that they, you know, enjoy making this music and enjoy being together because could have easily just said, you know what, I'm, you know, either the singer or the guitarist, the, the two brothers could have just said, them, yeah, we're going to just do this and screw the rest of the guys, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, th- that's originally what happened was the two brothers left and they formed the haunted. And we've, we've talked about them before. Um, mm-hmm. So they, they formed The Haunted, and the other two guys were like, we can't continue without them. Or other th- yeah, three guys. yeah Right. So it's because they're such an integral part of the sound. You know, they were the primary songwriters in a lot of cases. So if, if you continue without that, like, we've seen tons of bands over the years. Like, when you don't have that influence,
0: it,
1: it's not the same band.
0: No, exactly.
1: So we, I and I love that integrity in them too. Is like if we're not going to be the same guys, we're not going to continue.
0: No, that that's that's a testament to 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 the band themselves. I mean, I I listened to Slaughter of the Soul on the way home um, today. I've listened to pretty much most of it, and I mean, it, it's well produced, uh, especially. And it's funny to say it because. You know, there are certain things that came out in the in the 90s out in Scandinavia that sound like shit and I'm not talking about black metal. It's just they just <laughs> I mean that's intentional so. that, right, exactly that's intentional. Um, but some of the some of the stuff that came out you know in that in that part of the world low budget didn't sound that great but this actually sounds pretty good. Um, I I listen to it I mean this, it, it is definitely the blueprint of what you know is melodic death metal. It's a, it's amazing that at the time that this came out or even at the gates when they, when they established their career, that you, you go from a world that is uh, coming to the end of the grunge era at that point. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously grunge, grunge is an American thing and, and it had a small effect out in Europe, not as, not as much of a major effect in Europe as it did here. But th- this was like almost a, like an answer, like, you know, fuck you and your grunge. We're going to do this, <laughs> you know? And this was so far off on the one side. It was, it's, it's amazing. And the, and the scene took off. Obviously, it, it is always kind of a case where, um, certain genres
1: of music spawn out of almost an answer to what came before. I mean, we talked about grunge being an answer to the the hair metal, the gr- the glam metal being, you know, we're not going to put all this effort in and we've got real attitude, you know, and and then you have the the uh, the like the old heavy metal like Judas Priest kind of coming out of that mentality of, you know, we can't get jobs. You know, we're young men that are being held back. And, you know, songs like Breaking the Law come out of it. So I always feel like every genre is kind of coming out of an answer to a previous generation saying, you know, we don't have the same values as you.
0: Right. Uh, totally, totally understand that. Um, I, I, I thought the album was pretty impressive, you know, especially for being 1995 and and that scene not being huge worldwide.
1: Yeah, I mean it opened up a lot of doors for other bands that would would take advantage of that too. You know, dark tranquility since become a lot bigger in the US in flames as well. I mean, and and those took time to happen, but I mean, some of the other bands that I'm going to mention in just a bit, it's the same kind of story. You know, without these kind of landmark albums, even though they're not like multi-platinum giant albums, but they still really opened up the scene
0: for not just themselves but for other bands too. Right, exactly. So, um, it's a shame that they ended up, you know, breaking up so that that the brothers could do the Haunted, but at the same time, who knows what would have happened? You know, we we before we started recording, we had that similar conversation about Metallica and certain things, and it it it's it applies to every band. You know, what would have happened if this? What would have happened if that? And no one knows. We we it's a it's a great thing to debate, but the, the bottom line is, at the end, there is no definitive answer other than what physically and you know emotionally, you put it that way, happened in, you know in public.
1: So one last question about this album: Did you notice that Andy LaRocque
0: had a solo on the the song "Cold"? I I saw that. It, I I'm reading about it, but I did not pay attention to the song specifically.
1: Oh, Okay, it's a it's a good solo. And and so, uh, Anders has said that he still can't play the solo.
0: <laughs> that is pretty funny. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that's that's just Andy LaRocque. He's so
0: good. Oh, I know. He's 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 an amazing guitar player. D- does not get enough credit. All right. So that's going to bring me to my next album, and my next album is going to be Quiet Riot and Metal Health. And so this is very similar kind of deal. Not exactly the same, but similar into how Pantera was. They had some previous albums that really uh, were independent, small or minor, whatever. Uh, Quiet Riot had two albums that were released in Japan that were released on Sony Music in Japan. But, you know, Sony Music in Japan is just like it's a big label in Japan, but it's not a worldwide label. Um, It's not the same Sony Music that we know of today. So this album basically is the debut album for those four guys, you know Kevin Dubrow, Frankie Benali Rudy Sarzo, or Chuck Wright, depending on who was which song we're talking about, and Carlos Cavazzo. You know Randy had already passed away by the time this album came out, so he, Randy Rhodes was on the first two, and then uh, Carlos Cavazzo joined the band when they reunited because it was originally Dubrow. And that's when Rudy Sarzo came into the picture, and then they they just decided to do you know, reestablish new quiet, right. Just a weird history with this band, but this album, uh, let's see, this album comes out in early 1983 and it, 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 it in March of 1983, you know, it comes out n- no fanfare, no nothing. It, it's, it's not something that is, is blowing the doors off, you know, off of, Record companies or MTV or anything like that, and they get a gig playing the US Festival in May of 1983, and I believe they were the openers, either them or Molly crew I can't remember which one, but I know both of them played in the, in the daylight early in the in the afternoon, and they got that. And then all of a sudden, people began to take notice of Quiet Riot. Well, in August, a couple months later, they released "Come On Feel the Noise" as a single. And that song just exploded all over the place. I mean, it was on radio.
1: No
0: <laughs> noise exploded all over. I mean, it and they spelled it that way. So I mean the song the song was just all over the place. It was on the radio, it was on M T V, it was it was everywhere. And you know, it, it it if if it wasn't for that song, they don't have a career. It's not even this. Don't even say this album, because even with Metal Health being a, a, a big hit that it was, I don't think that this album is as huge and, and Quiet Riot is as huge as they became without Come On Feel the Noise being a giant hit. I mean, the song went all the way to number five on the Billboard Hot 100 charts, and then that propelled the album to go to number one for several weeks at the end of 1983. So it's it it's wild how that one song literally made their career. This is this song and this album in general was the was the career defining moment for this band. You know, what do you think about that? I mean, for sure.
1: You know, obviously there's the original uh quiet riot. I mean, it's essentially almost a sec- a different band because they've disbanded and then DeBro brings in his or you know Brings it back and says, "You know, can I use the name?" So it's it's really a different band. It's kind of the same thing as we've talked about with Judas Priest, where there was a Judas Priest before with Al Atkins, and then there's another Judas Priest after, and that's the Judas Priest we we know. So, <clears throat> you know, they start off with this first album. It goes crazy. It becomes one of the the you know the the largest. Uh, it's almost like a a major point in the history for metal right because it without this album gaining the traction that it did a lot of other bands don't exist because the the record companies on the merit of the the what this album did started hiring up every band they could find so it this was this was a huge moment in metal history not just not just for the album, but for for the, like
0: other bands. I mean, realistically, right? No, I completely agree because. So, oh, go ahead. No, uh, what I was gonna say is, you know, that if I'm not mistaken, this was the first metal album to actually go number one on the Billboard charts. It is. Um, so you know that that's a huge thing. And and
1: that's what I'm saying is like just just based on that alone. The record companies said we want more metal acts like we see the potential in this finally and so you know i I don't they never really hit these heights again but it did it did enough for metal to really cause a lot of the bands that we love to even exist
0: no, absolutely. I mean, they, you know, between, you know, Van Halen made it in 1977, 78. They got, you know, they got signed in 77. They released Van Halen 1 in 78. But as much as Eddie was influential in that, it, it and the album did really well, the scene didn't blow up until Motley Crue and Too Fast for Love kind of took off. Yeah. Right? And so that's 1981 and then 82. This album comes out in '83, and really, I mean, obviously, Motley Crue was already signed. Dawkin was already signed. You know, Quiet Riot is signed, and they finally they blow up, and then all of a sudden, it, the race was on. We need to sign every single, you know, glam band that's in LA.
1: Yeah,
0: you know, so 1983 was a huge year for for these bands, you know, getting signed and releasing albums. It was it was enormous. You know, this album also had a re-recording of a song from uh, the f- the second Quiet Right on QR two, um, that had Randy Rhodes on it. They had uh, the song Slick Black Cadillac. And one thing I kind of noticed today, I was looking at the credits, and I was like, Q- QR two says the song was written by Kevin DuBrow and Randy Rhodes, and then on Metal Health, it just says Kevin DuBrow. And I'm like curious about that. And like, why did how did Randy Rhodes drop off? Unless it was something that they changed the song and just kept the lyrics or something like that. I don't remember, but I'm pretty sure the song was the same um, or relatively close. Um, Yeah. And another thing too, this album had a song called Thunderbird, which when you think about, when you look back on it, one can think that that song is about Randy Rhodes and his passing. But in reality, that song was written before Randy passed away Because Kevin Dubrow was so heartbroken that Quiet Riot was breaking up and Randy was going to join the Ozzy band, that this is the song he wrote. Basically, you know, Thunderbird fly, you know, let your you know spread your wings and fly. And because he wanted success for his really good friend Randy Rhodes, and that's a that's a testament to Kevin Dubrow and their and their relationship. But it's funny, I could have swore for years that this was his tributes randy after randy passed but i i I came to learn that that wasn't the case did it but it came out after he passed right yeah the song came out after he passed away so which is is odd (laughs)
1: but so in some capacity maybe it is but you know not originally intended to be right right exactly
0: all right so what do you got all right
1: um so the next band i'm going to talk about is opeth uh, we haven't really talked too much about Opeth uh, in our show, and we, we probably should at some point. Um, but the album in, in question is going to be Blackwater Park. Uh, Blackwater Park came out in 2001. Um, this was an album that really kind of opened the gates for a lot of bands. Um, it wasn't a huge commercial success in the U.S. at the time, but it really gained traction as time went on. Um, it, it was a, a stylistic change for them. I had been a fan before, and I really love their album, My Arms Your Hearse. Um, I was a big fan of Morning Rise. You know, at that point, they're, they're releasing albums that, you know, Morning Rise, listen to the, the length of the, the tracks. You know, we were talking about how track length will scare people off sometimes. So the first track is 13 minutes and 44 seconds the second one is 10 minutes and 59 seconds then 10 minutes and 9 seconds then 20 minutes and 14 seconds and then the final track of five is 10 minutes and 54 seconds so as time went on what they they released this album it's got eight tracks only three over 10 minutes and the rest are around 5 to 7 minutes you know somewhere right around that length um so a big change in their kind of accessibility to a lot of fans. Um, they release a, a huge song called Harvest. Harvest uh, is a clean vocal track where um, they had used clean vocals in the past. This was this was a purely clean vocal song. Um, had progressive metal that or progressive death metal, I guess you would call the album. Um, so it was a very open to a new generation i remember hearing people that i never would have thought talk about you know opeth in my high school like i remember people that were predominantly say um you know the Godsmack fans or slipknot fans or metallica fans that were more on the mainstream saying have you heard opeth and I remember that kind of groundswell at the time, which was crazy, you know, because I'm the guy who listened to all these bands back then. You know, I'm, I remember being kind of not an outcast, but just like, oh, this is the guy that listens to all the you know, screaming stuff, right? And so this comes along. There was a couple other albums that I remember the same kind of thing happening. Um, but this one was one of the biggest ones that like people were like, wow, this is something different and you know it was it was like somehow you have death metal and it's like smooth too right it's like soft there's there's moments that are just like ambient and, and it was something different that i had never heard and this was i think widely regarded as kind of their magnum opus it, it became the turning point for the band and i think they've since done you know bigger things but this was that moment that I think opened a lot of the world's
0: eyes to who Opeth was. So I'm listening to this album on the way home today because I, you know, I had that amount of time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Actually, I listened to more of at the gates on the way home. And then yeah. I was listening to this one. I, you know, once, once I kind of sped through the last few songs of, of, of at the gates, just cause I'm like, all right, this Sounds very similar to the previous one. Um, So I got about halfway through each of those songs. And then I I jumped to Opeth. So I'm listening to The Leper Affinity. So I listened for a song. Okay. So it's 10 minutes long. I listened to like all 10 minutes. And I don't think I've ever heard a song throw so much shit into one song, one track like that. I mean, it's like, hey, I need that instrument over here now. Come here. Give me that one. The (laughs) piano. I want the piano. You know and it's like okay some clean vocals here at the end yeah yeah dude it was nuts i mean it was a good song <laughs> but it was like okay what else are we gonna do because it, it's like four different songs in one or something to that effect it's, a, it's a several different songs in one or that's what i thought or think whatever i don't know if, if i'm exactly right or what well and that's, that's kind of what i was saying to you when we were talking about this earlier was that
1: i often feel like when you listen to an opeth song you're you're listening to um a musical piece rather right, than exactly a, like a just a song a bop or something like that you're listening to movements you know the the beginning starts it, like leper affinity starts off very soft and then it just explodes into that one riff that you know it's like uh it's just really heavy really like heavy in the attack right and then it goes into uh, like a, a completely different riff with just blinding fast drums, right? And then it slows down, kind of mid-paced, jazzy stuff in the center. And then you're getting into, like you said, there's the soft vocals that are kind of like in the distance almost. And, and it's playing acoustic guitar. And then all of a sudden, you get an, a, a revised version of the original riff and there's there's just so many elements going on that you're you're almost li- it's like listening to like you go to a symphony and you hear like there's different movements of a song and the, and, and you're following a journey and
0: that's that's what I've always found to be really interesting about Opeth well I, I it's extremely interesting and i and i found it so I'm listening to I'm pretty sure it was Harvest um i don't remember it's a softer song correct mhm Okay, third track so, on the album. So Very. I'm I'm listening to this track and I'm like, okay, so where's where's the death metal part of this, you know? And then I I don't know if it's a song, if it's bleak or if it's the drapery falls, but it 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 continues in that vein, to some extent, right? And uh, drapery
1: falls is the one that that kind of continues where okay. Harvest left off. It's a
0: little heavier, but it kind of continues that. So I'm, I'm yeah. listening to this and I'm like, okay, so this is cool, right? This is, there's, there's a, there's a bit of heaviness here, but it, it's not like death metal heavy by any means whatsoever. And it's not, progre- it's, it's, it's weird. It's except not, for the vocals. It, well, it, exactly. Except for the vocals. Yeah. And even then it's not like, um, it's not like a Marth death metal style vocals or, 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 um, cannibal corpse style death metal vocals it's not it's not that you know it has you know like the album has flashes of that all over the place you know but it's so that just going from harvest to drapery falls and i'm like this isn't that heavy per se i mean it's it's a metal in, in but i'm like wow this is interesting this is something that's a little proggy it's a little you know Mainstream, almost to to some degree, and I'm like, okay, I I could I could dig this, but you know, and and it was like, I I didn't really know what to think. I'm like, this isn't that fucking heavy in that regards, and I'm and and the reason it kept I kept coming back to that that line is because obviously you know metallica seventy two seasons came out, and people talk about how much Metallica's changed, right? And I'm sitting there thinking, well, shit. Half the stuff on on 72 seasons is faster and heavier than this shit, right? It's like what's going on here? You know, there's there's a double standard, I think, to some to some extent. But it's it's heavy in a
1: different way because it's moody, right? Right. It's it's different. So but it's funny, you cannot judge Opeth. By one album, and that's that's the best way I can say it. Because,
0: Well, and I've heard, I heard. Um, if I'm not mistaken, last week I listened to um, Deliverance, which is Deliverance.
1: is way heavier.
0: Yes, it was it was a lot heavier. And I'm like, okay, so th- I'm. Uh, this is all over the place. Which so, is oh, fun. And
1: you're you're in for a treat if you ever hear Damnation, <laughs> because Damnation is the exact opposite of Deliverance. <laughs> and they even were released back to back and they were intentionally done like basically separating the two elements of what came in Blackwater Park where the, the Blackwater Park had those soft parts and then the really heavy parts well damnation was like all the heavy parts i mean sorry not damnation sorry deliverance was all the heavy parts and then damnation was all the light stuff so it was almost like two different like two different bands and then they they do ghost reveries and i want to say watershed might have been the last one that used uh death metal vocals and then after that they've he's michael ackerfeld the singer has completely issued using uh death metal vocals except for when playing older songs in concert so that one to check out for sure if you're if you're getting into Opeth, and you want to hear like what they're all about, you got to check out live, uh, the live concert at the Royal Albert Hall because mm-hmm. it plays, they play like a really wide variety of what they do, um, you know, their entire career basically. And just hearing like this soft spoken dude talk to a, a crowd of, of, you know, progressive metalheads is the best way I can say it, you know, and then. This is a song that I wrote about uh, dark feelings.
0: <laughs> you know, it's like what? <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> I, I mean, I got I, I got to respect. So here's the, my take on a lot of this stuff, and it's really interesting. That European, I'll put it that way. European taste in metal, are obviously, very different. There's a different style of writing, you know, in England. There's a different style of writing in Scandinavia, um, and it's so different from American bands. And then uh, on top of that, the audiences are so different as well. You know, you have American audiences which are extremely fickle, you know, they it, they want what they want. and if they don't get it, then you know they're on to the next thing. Where in European audiences, you know, and and I'm gonna just use an example as a, as a complete extreme. You know, you'll have metal guys that may or may not be into songs or music similar to Taylor Swift, pop music, maybe even pop country. And yet they'll still go to Vaken and they're listening to death metal on, on, on the, on that weekend. It, 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 they can go to those extremes and no one says a damn thing. Okay. Sure. You know, German, I mean, look, Ger- David Hasselhoff is fucking huge in Germany. Right. and, Yet, you know, Germans will, will like it. They, they like, accept. they like Udo, they like all that heavy shit. And they, you know, and they, they're still going to love their fucking David Hasselhoff, <laughs> but it's the same guy, the same thing with Ramstein. you know, it's, it's just so cool. That is such a cool thing to be able to have that kind of, uh, eclecticness and not be frowned upon by the guy next to you. Because you know what? He's got the same eclecticness too. And that's really cool. I mean, that's, that's the thing I like about that part of the world. They don't give a shit what the next guy listens to. They're going to listen to whatever the hell they want. If you don't like it too bad, they don't give a shit. And if you do, then great. It's awesome. And that's, a, that's, that's so, uh, what's the word I'm trying to, the, the phrase I'm trying to get. It's, it's, such, a, it's, a, it's such a good thing to, to know. I guess you could say you know and and you get a band like Opeth who can do all this different stuff and people still dig them for one or the other.
1: Oh yeah. I, I actually had recently had a friend, you know, I'm not a, a, a fan of Creed, but a, f- a friend of mine said like he was embarrassed that he likes Creed. And I and I said to him like very honestly, dude, you do not have to care what other people think if you like the band. And you enjoy the music, listen to it. His life is way too short not to listen to the things you enjoy.
0: Absolutely. And,
1: and that's, that's just the truth. Like if you like any kind of music, um, if you like a band that, that people make fun of, it doesn't matter. Like it really doesn't. Listen to it. If you liked Winger in the, in the '80s, and, and you know, Beavis and Butt had made fun of it, and you stopped listening to it, listen to him again. Because it's, it's there's no point in being, you know, uh, worried about what other people think about the music that you love.
0: Hi, my name is Dean.
1: You're a Winger fan?
0: I was going to say I'm a Nickelback fan. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's fair, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what do you got for your next choice? All right,
0: so my next album is uh, Poison, Open Up and Say Ah. Um, there's a trend here. I don't know if everyone's noticed, but it's all fucking glam metal. Um, and there's a reason why I, I stayed away from the thrash bands. I stayed away from Metallica's and, and uh, well, not Anthrax that's, that's coming up, but I stayed away from a lot of these real big bands because it's obvious. So we, we've talked about them all the time. So I wanted to bring up some bands that we haven't talked about much. All right. So poison open up and say, ah, a lot of people are going to turn around and say, oh, well they were pretty big with their first album. Look what the cat dragged in you know, that came out two years prior and they had that song, you know, talk dirty to me and, uh, I won't forget you. And I want action. Yeah. It was, it was a big album. I think it went double platinum that opened the doors, but this album, this album made them a whole household name. Okay. They had, they, they, they let off with the single, nothing but a good time and that came out in April of 88, and then they did Fallen Angel. So they've got these big songs on MTV. They're, you know, they're all over MTV. They're the, they're the, uh, the poster child, children for MTV and the glam metal scene and all that stuff. But then all of a sudden they released a single called Every Rose Has Its Thorn. That changed the game. That changed the game for them, and it was, it was pretty much over at that point. I mean, they were household names. This Bret Michaels was loved by everybody still wasn't there on rock of love yet <laughs> but
1: well yeah he wasn't loved
0: by everyone on there <laughs> but
1: anyhow i mean i gotta tell you though i i watched the first season i i think i watched the first two seasons of rock of love and i it was really entertaining television at the time and i <laughs> i hate reality tv shows but something about that show just really amused me um I'm not embarrassed to say that I watched it. The second season sucked, but the first season was just hilarious to me. Cause it was seriously, it was like, Brett was just like, you know, I really feel like we have an emotional connection, but this girl's got big tits. You know, <laughs>
0: <laughs> it, you know it's just, it was such a whack show, man. It, it was. But before that show came along, this album came out in 1988 and, I mean, it's it's a great album. I mean, if you like glam music or if you like pop metal, I, I that's what I used to call it back in the day. Pop metal, um, I called it metal in general, heavy metal. You know, because thrash had a distinctive sound to a distinctive style that you know, you, it was it was two different things. So this, you know, was the mainstream, and I mean, you liken. Poison, you're liking Molly Crew, you're liking the Cinderella, you like Dawkins, you like Tesla, you like all these bands at the same time. And this album, I mean, I just remember every rose that has a storm just being all over the radio. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, what is it here? Uh it, it was um you know, it's number 34. It was named in the 34, VH1's greatest songs of the 80s. You know, um it it uh the, on the charts it was it was a number one hit in the Billboard album. I'm uh, not album charts on the singles, the Bill, the Billboard Hot 100. It became a number one song. Um, how many weeks? I don't know. It doesn't tell me. But it is. It's crazy. This song was all over. I mean, it was. It's a gold record in the United States a single, gold single. It was a silver single in the UK. It was all over the radio all the time in 1988 and 1989 and that is this song is what made them a household name love on the rocks great song nothing but a good time great song you know back to the rocking horse good song look but you can't touch good song fallen angel big hit on mtv good song i mean this was a great album if you like that kind of metal you know you couldn't you couldn't keep away from it because it was just there everywhere and they also changed their style just a little bit i mean the makeup the whole thing about looking like girls like they did on the first album kind of went away they they were a little bit more stripped down they still teased their hair to some degree but like brett was more of the the kind of the look he has now that's what kind of what he ended up establishing out of this you so know bald <laughs> well he he's never shown his head we don't know if he's really bald or not or if the bandana allegedly
1: allegedly
0: or if the if the bandana has hair attached to it or not you know (laughs) he's got that he's got that whole hulk hogan thing going on yeah but i mean look i like the album i mean sold five million copies in the u.s i mean that's a that's a pretty pretty household album what are your thoughts on it
1: i mean I'm not a poison fan. Um, I mean, we talked about this album before, right? Where uh, we did what was it? Flesh and did we do this against Flesh and Blood? Right? No, was it this one against Flesh and Blood? Are we no, no, we did we did them against somebody else? Yeah, was, I think it was them never, against Tesla. We never did. Yeah, okay. Um, I mean, I think if I'm gonna pick. A poison album that i would prefer it'd probably be flesh and blood um i just didn't nothing about poison really ever appealed to me uh i i do like the song um what's what's the one from the first album that was a big hit
0: uh um, talk to that was me, talk to me yeah. uh
1: i like um uh, what's the one off of this next album that I? So this, this is how
0: much I love this. This would be the next album, so this one, nothing. No, no, good.
1: no, uh, the flesh and blood, I'll ride the wind off of oh, flesh and blood, ride the that's, wind. That's, huh? that's that's about what I like from poison, honestly. Um, you know, every ro- rose has its thorn. I think I've heard enough times that I never hear it, need to hear it again. Uh, there's been just plenty of covers of it and i don't know i think i think its best use was on rock of love where it was almost like ironically (laughs) uh nothing but good but a good time it's a classic you know it's i I, it's one of those that if it comes on i probably won't change it it's a it's it's one of those that's it's systematically written to be a hit but poison just never did anything for
0: me so sorry no, hey, it's it's understandable. I mean, that that was the era that I lived in. You know, it, it if if you were into metal, it, it was one of those things because I started when metal, you know, or not. I became a fan of metal when it when it came out of the underground, the whole '80s metal scene that that came out of 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 uh, uh, out of LA. Yeah, I, but I grew up in New York, so there was other there was glam in new york it was different to me is that it was very well it's it's hard to say some of it was sleazy i mean there was twisted sister you know and things like that and but you know obviously we just mentioned them doc and Motley crew wasp was big uh yeah you know, armored saint striper uh you know all the, these bands were just all flooding flooding the airwaves flooding mtv and you know, Poison was one of them, Cinderella, Tesla in 86, you know, all these bands were just coming out of the woodworks and there's a, a bajillion more I haven't even mentioned. And, you know, and then stuff is coming out of New York and, and and all that shit. And and then, of course, at the same time, this thrashing out of San Francisco and, you know, you got uh, Metallica, you got Megadeth, you have Anthrax that started up in New York, you know, Megadeth. Uh, Megadeth decides they want to, you know, blow up the world and, and you know, go do everything they can to, to punish Metallica, you know, Slayer, Testament, the whole second wave, Exodus, and all that stuff. I mean, it's, it was all at the same time. Think about that. All at the same time, all this stuff is coming out. You know, yeah. literally minute after minute, there's a new band coming and they're really good. Every single one of them. It's crazy. You know, and so you you I would say most people in that time period liked all of that. So they liked the poisons and they liked the testaments, they liked the Cinderellas and the motley Cruz, but they also liked the overkills and they also liked the death angels. It, it was there was not a lot of oh, I can't listen to that. There were some of it. But I don't think there was well, that's a lot. What I'm
1: going to name my band the Motley Cruise the Motley
0: <laughs> So, anyhow, um, that's that was uh, that was my next one. So, what do you got for your fourth one? All right. Um,
1: so, uh, my next one is going to be Scorpions' "Blackout." <clears throat> so, there, you know, obviously, Scorpions had been around for a while at this point. Um, released seven other albums and to me though this is where scorpions becomes the scorpions that most people know and love i mean you think back to 1972 they're releasing you know psychedelic rock albums with lonesome crow they fly to the rainbow um it wasn't really until i would say virgin killer where they started to kind of establish their sound uh love drive obviously is a big one um but in the in that time they've also got turmoil where you know they've got Uli John Roth as their primary guitar uh player um you know, they bring in michael shanker uh to to you know I guess fill in the ranks basically um you have them bringing on um Kla- uh sorry Klaus, not Klaus, what the hell you have them bringing on Matthias Jabs um and then really bringing Michael back and then bringing Matthias back you know the, a lot of changes and then they they hit blackout in 1982 and this is where the band hits their their biggest singles um you know no one like you blackout uh, this is you know what leads into you know the stuff that came on love it first uh sting like uh rocky like a hurricane big city nights etc but blackout was where they they really just took off you know it was certified gold and then later platinum i mean this this was the change and the the lineup that kind of set in stone that would still really be playing today, for the most part. I mean, you have, you have a change in... Herman Rarebell's no longer playing, right? You have Francis Buchholz that's been fired since because of, you know, whatever happened with, behind the scenes with the band. But other than that, you have Klaus, you have Rudolf, and Matthias all still that, that core lineup of the band. And, you know, this is, this is a, a, a huge step forward from the stuff that came before, you know, Love Drive, uh, Animal Magnetism. I love those albums, don't get me wrong. Even Taken by Forces is, is a great album. That was that was the last one with Uli John Roth. But when I think of Scorpions, I mean, for me, the first song, song that, that comes into mind is No One Like You, that opening from No, no One Like You. Um, and even then after that, probably Rocky Like a Hurricane, but this was, this album just allowed them to blow up. I mean, it was multiple times rated like a 10 over 10 album, five stars, you know, etc. cetera. It's, it's just, to
0: me, it's incredible. You know, the, the, that's what this, this um, whole debate is about, because if it, if it would have been me and I'm picking a Scorpions album, I probably, you know, by, by the title career defining album, I'm going with love It first thing. But, I'm also well aware that this album, you know, established them on the map. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they obviously had a career beforehand. They had a successful career, mostly in Europe and mostly in Japan um, with, you know, with Uli as their, their lead guitar player all the way up until Virgin Killer uh, when that album came out. And then, you know, Animal Magnetism comes out. And then Love Drive comes out, and Love Drive is a different band now. You know, now we have uh, Michael's back in the fold. Matthias is in there, and um, you know, obviously, and, and Rudy's still the, the rhythm guitar player. So they they're trying to they've they've kind of established a lane that they want to be in with love with um, Animal Magnetism. They kind of you know widen the highway with with Love Drive, but then this album comes out, Blackout, and it's just like. Holy shit! This album's really good. Yeah, it's and it's a fantastic album. And you know the 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 cover is cool. The video and and Rudy looking like the guy on the cover because that's not the same person. Um, actually, the the artist who did the cover that's supposed to be like a self portrait. You know, but Rudy looks so much like him that they used Rudy in the in the video to look like him. Um, it's crazy that this uh, this album is so good and then you think about love it for sting that much better it's crazy to think yeah i
1: mean it's definitely one where i can see the debate on either side i for me i i think of it as like what just like what made them i guess what the made the world kind of open their eyes to the band
0: right and Mm -hmm. so you could easily say either one Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like I said, it's one of those, like I, you know, when you go by the definition of what we're trying to talk about, I would have picked Love at First Thing because it it, it defined their career. But at the same time, you know, Blackout could easily, you know, like, like you're saying, define that career because it set the path. I mean, they were on the path, but then all of a sudden it's like, boom, the doors are open. Because they didn't really change their style for
1: Love at First Thing either. You know, like they had... They established what they were gonna do and they really did just more of the same, but they were really good songs on Love It First Sting, you know? Right. So exactly. That that's kind of where I would say like the debate is is a hundred percent like there, you know, like it's there is there is a debate for that. <laughs>
0: Exactly. I, there, there absolutely is. And it's very similar. So I'm going to go into the next song, the next album that I'm going to do, and it's going to have that same kind of debate. Um, We talked about this right before we started recording uh, Um, I'm picking Empire, their 1990 <laughs> release because to me, yes, Operation Mindcrime opened the doors enough for them to, to, to break through, I guess you could say. But Empire is just they they just literally put the stamp down and they said here we are, and this is the band that we are now because they they changed every album they were different every album, you know. And then Empire comes out and they they hit the mainstream and that's to me where that the career defining album definition comes into they hit the mainstream, and you know there's an argument to be made that it happened with Operation Mindcrime, but. But was Operation Mindcrime mainstream enough? That's the question. That's I, the I guess it's a fair question because, yeah, it's
1: probably not, and and it's probably more that it's become a cult album where, right? It, you know, there's this huge following of the album. You know, obviously Jeff, when he left the band, he 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 made a band called Operation Mindcrime. You know, after he was forced to to no longer use the Queen's right name. Um, So I I get that. And they even did the sequel to Operation Mindcrime, too. So it has this iconicness that I think when I think of Queensryche and and there's that association with the album, even though for me, like, I much prefer, say, Rage for Order uh, or even The Warning to either of those albums that we're talking about right now right
0: exactly i I completely agree with you in that regards but empire
1: Um, you're right like they have empire silent lucidity and that that silent lucidity is one of those those moments that like really blew them up right because it it has the music video and everything with it and then jet city woman right so this i would agree with you for the most part even though like i kind of question it saying like isn't is operation mind crime kind of that moment that, that established them as, as some, you know, it was, it, it was a, a gold album, right. When pretty, pretty much right away within a year.
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, it still got them that notoriety, but I think empire just did that much better.
0: Yeah. I mean, overall operation mind crime, you know, became a platinum album, but empire was a triple platinum album.
1: And and, and, and
0: it's triple platinum based on the strength of silent lucidity. Let's not kid ourselves, you know, the song empire and the song just city woman are not making this a triple platinum album. It's, it can make it a platinum album based on the strength coming off of operation mind crime, but it's not making it triple until silent lucidity hit, hit the airwaves and, you know, MTV blew it up. The radio blew it up and it was, it was, it was over at that point, you know, it's game was, was, you know, game set match type of thing. That's that's the reason why I picked Umpire. I mean, I I was a fan since the warning. So, you know, for me, I, I could see the progression, the warning, Rage for Order. Rage for Order was just so different from the warning. and But yet, at fan, I appreciate that album more now today than I did back in 1986, okay? And I was a big fan of it in 86, okay? Then Operation Mindcrime comes out, and it's like, poof, I'm like the emoji, head fucking blown, because it's so it's so different at the same time. It's so progressive at the same time. It's this, it's this, uh, concept album. Like it's a true story from beginning to end. And each song literally is the next part of the story. And and they have these interludes in between that kind of add to it. Not the same kind of concept that Pink Floyd put out with the wall, you know, because that was just hard to follow at times, but this one is literally a story beginning to end. And it's so, so there. And, and even then, when you get to the end of the story, did she or didn't she kind of thing, you know there's just yeah. so much to to question I mean for years, people asked that question, you know, what happened to Mary did she or didn't she you know and it's it's a crazy thing. they answered it, and they just you know they say listen to the out to the song you'll you'll get it. it's there, but man, um it was and you know that album did it, but i I think it was more for the actual scene that it did operation mind crime whereas empire hit the mainstream and as that's the big difference for me
1: yeah i I get that
0: okay so what's your album number five
1: um so this is another band i don't think we've really mentioned too much on the show um i want to talk about living color uh with their album vivid so uh i mean this was a, a really big album um you know, it's it's been du- or it's become double platinum since it came out. Um, it was number six on the, the the Billboard 200, um, and it was it was something different. You know, the metal scene uh, really. Let's be honest, it it still is predominantly a a you know, or, let's say Caucasian. white Caucasian. Caucasian, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot of people that even. Came from other countries and kind of were white passing. Um, but this was a band that was, you know, uh, African American black guys that that you know put out a funk metal album that is just awesome and it re- really like kind of puts the puts the genre on its head in some ways where you know these guys that would do something different, um, like say Rage Against the Machine, um, that would that would try something different that would stand out that um you know still were able to be on the scene you know anthrax even did their their combo with public enemy where i I think a lot of people said this can't work and it does um i don't enjoy all rap uh rap metal. And I wouldn't say this is really rap metal by any means, but it is it is different than what you hear from a lot of stuff that was coming out at the time for an album that came out in 1988. Um, there's a lot of really avant-garde kind of stuff going on. It's very artsy in a lot of ways. It's got jazz elements, soul, funk, uh, I mean, pop, punk. I mean, it's got, it's got a lot of things going on, and it's still really heavy. I mean, Cult of Personality, if you're a wrestling fan, you know that song because of of CM Punk, right? Um, but there's a lot of really good stuff on the album. I mean, Middleman is a really cool song, um, Open Letter to a Landlord. So you're getting a different perspective than a, than a lot of the other stuff. And these guys earned every bit of it. So I was, I was a fan for a long time. Even before I heard CM Punk use the song, I remember the first time. I mean, he was he was using it prior to my knowledge of him, um, but I remember the first time I heard it, I was like, "What?" You know, because <laughs> when he first went to WWE, he didn't use this song. He used um, it was uh, this fire, I think is what it's called from. Uh, oof, what's that band? Uh, J- Jesse Leach is the singer. Oh, Killswitch Engage. Killswitch Engage, yes so he was using that for the longest time and then they allowed him to use his cult personality song that he had used when he was in ring of honor and i i hadn't really ever seen him before you know his wwe time so um that was like one of those moments where it's like oh this is a song that i know from my childhood that's being put on tv and in such a major platform and uh, for me, like I was, I was a big fan of this album. I, I didn't get into as much of the stuff that went on from there because they went more into like the kind of jazzy funk stuff. It was the, the albums that followed weren't quite as heavy. Um, but I think Vivid is one of those albums that it appealed to a lot of people that maybe not re- or didn't really see from that perspective. You know, it was, it was kind of the white men can't jump. Effect where you know that movie was able to broadly appeal to a lot of different uh, groups of people, and so like I thought this was this was a
0: freaking cool album, and I still listen to it every once in a while to this day. So you know, Run DMC does a collaboration with Aerosmith. Right? Yeah. And it, they do walk this way, and it becomes a big hit. It basically gave a second life to aerosmith um they, that was a band that i had the the choice you know for the career defining albums to me they have two different careers and so there was two different albums i could have picked um so that's why i didn't choose them um but yeah
1: that, that's a good one to mention though because it's it's just it's one of those songs walk this way that like it became cool in multiple groups of people, right? Like it, it became cool like if you were into rap, like that was kind of a cool song. It had you know, it's like, oh man, these guys ain't so bad, right right exactly. and, yeah, and it, right. It, from from our side uh, as far as like metal guys and and is from like rap guys, right? So with bands that were able to kind of like bridge the genres, I think opened up a lot of like I, I anytime I went to a show that had, um like different genres than what i was used to like it didn't really matter like it, it it was always interesting to me because you see like a different audience you know like i've been to shows where like like say Ingve momstein i went to a show i don't know at this point let's see probably about 10 years ago and it was so funny to me because everybody there was, <laughs> was so calm it was like oh yeah i'm really excited to see him you know uh, i got to get to bed at 9 at o- nine cuz they all had pirate shirts on as well they were all
0: elderly right <laughs>
1: and so uh, but then i went to shows like where there was a contrasting opening and and closing act or maybe the headliner had kind of one crowd and the acts that came before had a different crowd and so you see this kind of like division sometimes But then I've been to shows like, um, where, uh, what was it? Prophets of Rage, where you saw like all different kinds of people and they're all like, we're just all chilling together. It was cool. So, you know, I I never got to see Living Color in person. I missed the opportunity right around COVID. Um, so hopefully I get that. But I've always been interested to just go and, and see you know, a band one that I like, but also like that, that in just a different, interesting
0: audience. So, you know, adding to the point I was trying to get at, Mm -hmm. you know, you have Run DMC does this collaboration with, with, with Aerosmith, right. Which then leads into Anthrax doing that collaboration with Public Enemy. Okay. And those are the kinds of things that, you know, a lot of people on the surface say that doesn't work we can't have that. Okay. There's no, why are you doing that? Why are you trying to cross this barrier? Okay. And the artists themselves are saying, what's your problem? Screw that. If I want to, if I want to work with this guy, I work with this guy. If I want to do this, I do that. You know, it's, you can't tell me what to do. Right. So then you get a band like living color. Okay. If it's not for living color, you know, if it's not for Run DMC doing Aerosmith, it you know it, uh, Public Enemy doesn't hang out with with Anthrax, right? Because the the idea is just never there, right? Maybe it does happen, but it maybe happens differently. But then you got a band like Living Color. Like if if they don't form a band, if they don't form a uh, an all African American band, right? Then you don't get um, a band like Rage Against the Machine that is, is a mix of so many different personalities and so many different cultures, right? Because you get a guy like Zach, and, you, and then you know, he's hanging out with a guy like um, Tim Comerford, you know, two different... I mean, Tim's you know a big white guy. Zach is a, a Hispanic. Maybe, I think he's also part African-American. I can't remember right off the top of my head. I can look it up in a sec. Then you have Tom Morello, african-american guy who goes to harvard right and he's playing this this incredible guitar that you don't even understand how he's doing half of what he's doing you know brad wilk i don't that dude's just freak drummer you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah so it's like without living color that probably doesn't happen you know and it's the reason being regardless of the fact that Rage Against the Machine is not all African-American. The bottom line is is that because Living Color was able to break through into the mainstream and people saw, oh, hey, I could do this too. I could play that kind of music or I could be like that guy, right? Then then all of a sudden you take your little influences here. Well, yeah, I could be that guy, but I've also, I, I grew up with this, so I can kind of mix this all together. And that's how bands like that happen. And Living Color is amazing to me you know i never really got too deep into living color cuz when they came out with their second album and it didn't do so well they kind of just fell off the, the 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 wagon for me i guess you could say but i've always loved that first album and you know open letter to a landlord i i didn't i i don't really think i've heard middleman in probably since the first time i heard the album <laughs> so because i don't i don't listen to the album that much but obviously i you know Open Letter to a Landlord was 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 the next single after, and it was pretty big, you know, not huge like Cult of Personality, but it was still pretty pretty good. Glamour Boys was another one, you know. So, it, if without this album setting the tone, I guess you put it that way, uh, lots of other things don't happen. And th- this album's great, you know. This definitely gave them a career.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, even to this day. I think a lot of the people that go to see them is probably based around this album. I mean, the, the cult of personality alone, what, what, was it? Best rock, uh, best hard rock performance in 1990. Um, you know, that's, that's what their Grammys for. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I like music that has perspective to it. And it's not just, you know, it's not just talking about sex and drugs and all that stuff that I said at the beginning of the show. You know, it, I like w- when a band is able to put, say, their personal experiences into their music, and you can you can hear a lot more depth to it. I also like the fantasy stuff. You know, like that are you know, say Judas Priest. Like they have lots of layers to them as a band, where they're singing sometimes about you know a, a, a fantastical superhero that's going to save the world and then the next song is about you know not being able to get a job and and feeling angry and fighting against the system so there's there's always those layers to everything that you you, you know you want out of music um, but it's it's nice to hear somebody's perspective and put into um into a poetic sense and not so upfront and just smacking you over the face with it, like like some modern music that I feel does where it's just there's no there's no subtleness to a lot of stuff we hear today, where it's just it's putting it right out there, like it's hard for me to respect a song called "Wap," you know when, when the, you know the, it's just gutter filth <laughs> yeah. and, and and we're not getting like. Really poetic, amazing songs that we used to get.
0: So I, I don't, I don't call that artistry. You know, it's a song. I mean, you you are a creative artist, but I don't consider that artistry. It's definitely not a Van Gogh. You know, it's it's a it's a street art, if you want to put it that way. <laughs> yeah. So, and that's being nice. So, <laughs> um, my number five uh, album is going to be anthrax and among the living 1987 uh-huh. all right so we we just mentioned the anthrax doing their collaboration with with public enemy among the living if you want to talk this is almost like if you look up career defining album in the in the dictionary or the encyclopedia or wikipedia this is the album that should be plastered all over that because i don't think and in and, and guns N' roses might be you know right be running right behind i don't think there's another band that just lives off of that one album more than anthrax does I, I think don't... i think anthrax
1: more so than than guns N' roses because guns N' roses at least has uh use your illusion one and two and it's i'm not saying that that anthrax doesn't have good albums but they play almost this full
0: album every show (laughs) well and that's that's what i'm talking about because you know it's it's funny because they they live off of this album but they have so many more albums they have so many more good songs that it's 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 mind-boggling that they don't play them but at the same time like when we saw them recently they were a headliner they had a good set and they played you know uh, i am the law they played indians they played caught in a mosh um i i think they played only one other song from the album so they only played four but it it feels like the whole thing is based on this album you know they did a good they did a good set they didn't play among the living i thought they did among uh no they, i don't think they played among the living hmm Maybe they did. Maybe they opened up with that. I, I'm not sure. That may yes, yes. You know what? You're right. Um, so so yeah, they played f- f- uh, four four songs, four or five tops. But still, you know, they played I think 15 songs that night. So it's a, qu- a third of their set. A the third of the show. Right. <laughs> yeah. but, but you know what? I you're gonna get. You're not gonna play. Every, you know, half the songs off of off of time. It just doesn't work that way f- for them. You know, spreading the disease is is probably the next most big album that they have. And um, they've got probably a good three songs. I think they played two off of that album, you know. But the I thing think is
1: one off of they just played
0: Death Rider, right? Off no, they uh, they played Metal Threshing, man. Oh, that's right. They did. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it's funny because when they're not headlining. You might as well call it the Among the Living show because it's like out of the ten songs that they typically get to play, or eight songs, you know, it's two two thirds or three quarters of it come from Among the Living. Um, But you know what? At the same time, I would do the same thing because you know what? That album is damn good. Yeah, they're you good know? songs. Okay, it's a great album. I I remember when this album came out, I was blown away. I'm like, wow, this is awesome i mean I, I went i was a big metallica fan you know so metallica comes out with master puppets slayer comes out with rain and blood you know megadeth comes out with um oh peace i think peace cells came out in 86 yeah you know they come out with peace cells and so the last of the big four was anthrax and it, they turned this around at the beginning of 1987 and it was like wow Okay, so yeah, they 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 thrashed it out, you know. This was a great album. I mean, beginning to end, this is just a banger. You know, and and I've become I I've, I've come to appreciate side 2 so much more over the, the last several years because there's some really good stuff on on the second half of the album. You know, especially when they toured recently and they played the whole album front to back, but they actually did it where they they changed the the uh, the the track list around because they had to do that for uh, for um what the term they had they had to do it in terms of being able to have the good songs towards the end. Otherwise, they were going to be closing with the fucking a uh, piece of shit song, you know, at the end. <laughs> it's not <as laughs> good. it's not as good as I am the law or, or Indians, you know. Yeah, and I mean, I say a piece of shit song because all all the songs on the album are good, but it's not, you know. I think it's horror of it all. I don't can't remember what the last album is. The last song is.
1: Imitation of Life.
0: Imitation of Life. You don't want to end a show on that song. (laughs) No. It's it's not the best. (laughs) You know, like when uh, when Metallica did the black album beginning to end, they literally did end to beginning. And it going backwards makes that album perfect for a concert setting. (laughs) You know, it's it's pretty awesome. Especially when if you play it in the middle. Like you play a few songs first, and then you start from the last song all the way to Enter Sandman. It's pretty pretty interesting how how that lays itself out. Hmm. That's cool. But what I mean, what are your thoughts on Among the Living?
1: I mean, pretty much everything you said. Like it's it's one of those albums that's it's definitely landmark for them. They don't have the capability, let's say, of playing much of the the four albums that they. They kind of exhumed from their category. I mean, from their their catalog, right? um Basically, because uh Joey doesn't want to play anything from the John Bush era, and luckily they play only. But that's probably a huge negotiation between him and uh, uh Scott. So um,
0: yeah, I, 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 that's just bullshit. You know what? Play the fucking song. Sing it. Goddamn it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's their biggest album. It's
1: it's a great album back to front uh front to back whatever <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking I'm trying to think cuz you said back to front right so right. like if you start with imitation of life and end with among the living it's certainly better um <laughs> yes like for a concert for a concert um so yeah uh i mean f- i would totally agree this is this is their career defining album period and you might be able to argue depending on what you think about it because their second career may be sound of white noise but as a whole if you're looking at their entire catalog of course among the living is their is their bread and butter
0: oh no absolutely it's their bread and butter um i mean if if you were going to go let's say john era and that's your career defining moment yeah that's it's going to be sound of white noise yeah um to me the Sound of White Noise is uh, the career, the career change. You know, I got fired from my previous job. Now I'm going to start a whole new career. <laughs> yeah. So this is, you know, I'm going from, I'm going from being a salesman to IT. <laughs> you know, it's just like, wow. I mean, it was a, such a change, but it was good. I'm not going to complain about that. All right. So let's get into the last two albums that we had to do for the night. Okay. Um, so I'm going to talk about Paranoid from Black Sabbath.
1: Um, so as much as the first album was like that, uh, that moment that, that sparked what metal would be in the future, um, you know, I think Paranoid is where like, the, the blueprints of heavy metal really kind of took form. Uh, you have War Pigs, Paranoid, uh, Planet Caravan, Iron Man. I mean, Iron Man alone. Like, and just think about you know, the stuff that would emulate a lot of what they did on that, that track. But Electric Funeral, Hand of Doom, Fairies Wear Boots. I mean, even Rat Salad, the, the instrumental. Like, from beginning to end, this is a, this is a metal album, you know? It, it, you could still consider it hard rock, for sure. But this, to me, is one of the first heavy metal albums. And it's only, it, it, I mean, it's in the same year, essentially. It's only, what, like, uh, 10 months later from, from the previous album? Yes. Uh, so I mean, what a what a evolution to step forward into
0: the next level. Not even uh, ten months, because because th- the the other one came out in February of seventy. This one came out September. Yeah, I'm ten thinking more then. of like
1: when it was recorded, right? So October of of, of sixty nine to
0: September, right? Right. So uh, uh,
1: approximately well 12, it, eleven, yep.
0: twelve months. Yeah. Right, and that's recording to that's recording to releasing as opposed to recording 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 to recording is even
1: less. Yeah. Six months. So it's crazy. So, um, you know, so many bands cite just pretty much any song that I just list, you throw a dart at, at a list of them and you'll find a song that's inspired somebody. Um, just absolutely incredible step forward into what, Metal would become, and you know, if you look at the, their career, you know, the first six albums are are nearly flawless. You have Master of Reality, following it, Volume Four, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. um I don't think there's that step forward in all of those al- albums, like from the first to the second album. You know, the 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 first album makes you go like, open your eyes, oh my god, what is this? And then paranoid hits, and it's like, oh my god, this is this is metal, you know this this is the archetype of what we would we be going forward. And yeah. and as as much as I love all the albums that follow Master of Reality, Volume Four, of Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, Sabotage, and then you know I I'm not as we've talked about technical ecstasy in the past. We've talked about Never Say Die. Then you go into the the Ronnie James Dio era, and you you've got that you know heaven and hell mob rules you know that that's a pretty stellar track record for your first 10 12 albums right um just absolutely incredible um but something about paranoid as that step forward as that moment of just um, like nearly perfect album from beginning to end I, i think paranoid stands out from the pack in that way
0: when when you look at when you listen to Black Sabbath the first album, right? You can hear they're still kind of like a bluesy jams jam band. Mm-hmm. Okay, they they have some heavy stuff. Obviously, you know Black Sabbath the song. You have uh the Wizard, right? But you, you listen to that that second side. And you listen to uh you know Sleeping Village or you know Behind the Wall of Sleep and all these different um songs that they do. You know, uh, it, it's, they're kind, they're, they're kind of like, they're, they're just, you know, jamming along. They're, they're bopping along. It's not what Paranoid would be. Paranoid was such a move forward, you know, and it was so consistent. Like, the, the consistency was not there anywhere on Black Sabbath, the first album. Paranoid, on the other hand, is so consistent. It's so direct. You know, War Pigs... Who would have thought that all these years later, War Pigs would be a pretty much a, pretty much a mainstream song? Everybody knows that freaking song. You know, everybody knows Paranoid. Everybody knows Iron Man. You know, and it's like, wow, these songs are so good. I, listen, I actually heard Iron Man the other day, and I'm like, I don't remember it sounding like this. It was so much more distorted sounding than I had remembered because I hadn't heard it, like the Black Sabbath version on my stereo in my car in such a long time. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, wow. This is really heavy, you know? And then then I heard Paranoid on the weekend. One of the kids playing the guitars in a showcase that my daughter was in played Paranoid, and they were just playing the the riffs. And I'm like... The one riff... (laughs) yeah it was just... Uh, đing 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 đing, you know it was, it, was so, it was so funny because they're playing that and, and the the teacher was playing along with them you know you know they're playing that over and over and over again, right but you know it was heavy and listening to the 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 version you know the black Sabbath version it's it's so different than anything that was coming out at the time in nineteen seventy I mean Led Zeppelin they were trying to do similar songs not overall but like uh let's first immigrant song or um what's the other song not good times bad times what was the song on the first album communication breakdown but it didn't have the same tone that black Sabbath has It, it you could tell that that distortion was such a distinguishing difference between the two bands that that's why black Sabbath is considered to be the godfathers of heavy metal because of their tone, because of their sound and because of the songs. Right. So this album is just amazing. You know, war pigs, paranoid, like you mentioned, probably caravan, iron man, electric funeral, all the fairies wear boots is a great song. I love that song. You know, this is a great album. Eight songs in and out, boom in 41 minutes. It's great beginning to end. I remember in, in high school, just going to the park, hanging out with some friends, listening to an import cassette of this album. And we just listened to it front to back. Like, this is so freaking good, you know? Mm. So it's I'll, an absolute classic. I'll take it every day. <laughs> okay, so for me, my last album for the night is going to be Kiss Alive. That is the standard bearer for what Kiss is. Kiss Became Because before that, the three albums were good, but this album was better. Uh, Kiss Alive, for whatever someone's going to sit there and say, oh, they re-recorded all the tracks, or the only thing that was live was Peter, you know what? I don't care. You know why? Because this is one damn good album. You can still feel the energy that comes off of this vinyl every time it's played vinyl CD cassette whatever the energy explodes off of this thing I mean the the, the songs are played different the, and, and it's not because of their the guitar tone there's just, the attitude behind each of these songs and how they're played in concert is so different it was finally captured what kiss was all about rock and roll all night became a single and became the you know the rock and roll national anthem but it was still, I mean, an album before that you heard it on Dress to Kill and it was like, it was, eh, it's okay. You know, it's not the great song, but then you add the guitar solo in it. And the, just the vibe of that whole album is what established Kiss and allowed them career defining. If it wasn't for this album, they don't have a career period. They're done. The record company was done. Kiss was done. It was all done. Everybody's going broke. Neil Bogart's going broke. The four guys in Kiss are going broke. Bill O'Coin is going broke. They all were all in. Literally, they put all the chips in, and they won. They flipped the ace card. That's amazing. And it gave Kiss a career. They were able to do Destroyer. They were able to do Rock and Roll Over, Love Gun, and so forth. And then they decided to almost kill their own career, you know, four years later. You know, so what what did you think of kiss alive
1: i mean i didn't hear it obviously until much later uh much much later uh because i was i wasn't really much of a kiss fan growing up right this also came out years before i was born so it's a different perspective but you know looking at it and and kind of knowing the story behind it is really interesting um absolutely you're right it saved their career it started a fresh new career for them um in a lot of the way that that again uh, to reference judas priest you know judas priest does um unleashed in the east and it it, it kind of gives their old songs a fresh new flavor right this this does this in a lot of ways it it sounds live. So there's there's no question there of like what their intent is. It sounds like this if you come to our show, this is what you're going to get. Rather than necessarily what's on the studio recording. And and I I would liken that again to to Unleashed in the East is, you know, by the time that album came out, the instrumentation was a little bit different. Things were a bit heavier and, and more full of sound. And that's the same here where everything sounds a bit better than it did before not saying that the earlier recordings are not good but there's just something magic here about like the 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 live sound and this is the performance you'll be expecting when you go to see them live and i think it enticed a lot of people you know the glitz and glamour you 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 had mentioned you know you saw a commercial and that that you you were just you know, blown away visually of what what Kiss was doing. Well, this is the album that captures that visual appeal. And how do you capture visual appeal in in a you know a gatefold album? Well, they presented it in just the right way that saved their career and allowed them to become a persistent uh, a force in music all these years.
0: Oh, absolutely. I and mean, when while you were while you were talking about something like several live albums during the seventies established many people's careers um kiss alive in in 75 kiss alive 2 in 77 uh peter frampton comes alive uh what was it um from live and dangerous from thin lizzie ufo strangers in the night all those albums basically blew up these bands and ufo was pretty big but strangers in the night is established as one of the greatest live albums of all time right yeah but- next level so so what I started thinking about while you were telling you were talking about certain things was why what was it that it captured you know what was it that happened well I'll tell you now that I think about it so you have all these really good songs that were on the first Kiss album you have all these really good songs that are on Hotter than Hell and you have all these good songs that are on um uh which we'll call it uh, Dress to Kill The problem was that they had three different production Qualities, right? They had two different producers uh, on the three albums because the first two were produced by the same people, but the first one and the second one, a completely different sound, right? What 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 Kiss Alive did was unify the sound for all those songs. So now they're being played with the same guitars, they're being played with the same amps, they're being played with the same energy from beginning to end. You know, obviously the notes are different and all that stuff, but they're being played in such a way that they all unify and they say, and you realize, damn, all these songs are good. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's the same thing with all the other bands that, that establish. like why, why did Peter Frampton all of a sudden become a household name because of, of. Frampton comes alive. Does, what was the difference between the song? Uh, I, I never really heard the studio recording to sit there and say, because all I ever hear is the damn live version of his songs. Yeah. You know. and so, in the same boat. <laughs> I've never really heard anything else. I mean, think, same thing with Cheap Trick. You know, Cheap Trick, the, the song that, that that defines their career is, I want you to, uh, to want me, right? Yes. Well, what's, what's the big difference? The live version is played the way they want it where the studio version had piano on it. It had a light drum. It didn't sound like anything like the live version, right? But the live version, they did it the way they wanted to, the way they actually played it. and People loved it, you know? So producers fucked that one up. But Kiss Alive, it just, it unified the songs. That's that's the, the one thing I got out of it. I was like, now all the songs, not that they sound the same because, you know, you don't want them to sound the same, but they all had the same that that vibrant energy and that is what made that amazing yeah so i was just like you know i heard that now mind you the first one i heard was kiss alive too but this is the one that gave them a career to be able to do kiss Alive too so that that tells you that absolutely all right so to mention a couple of albums that you know we could have mentioned tonight and talked about um Obviously there's a few glaring omissions and, and, and I don't want to leave them out, but you know, an album, and we kind of briefly touched upon the band, you know, guns and roses appetite for destruction. I mean, if there wasn't a, a, an album that set the tone for someone's career, I don't know what is, um, debatable ACDC's back in black. Cause some people will sit there and say, oh, no, it was highway to hell. Yeah. But highway to hell ended someone's career and back in black began someone else's career. You know, so we're, we're- I, th- I think you could
1: easily make an argument for both, but uh, okay. back, back in black, maybe a little more so. Because if they had not, you know, recruited Brian Johnson and made back in black immediately after in the way
0: they did, they, they would not have exploded in the way they did. So, exactly. Um, Bon Jovi, slippery when wet, that defines Bon Jovi's career. To this day, living on a prayer, want the Dead or Alive. We hear them every day on the radio, okay? Runaway was, was a breakout hit, but their second album, kind of a sophomore slump. You know, all they had was, um, what the hell was that song? In and Out of Love it was their big hit off that second album. That just kept the momentum until Slippery When Wet came. And then, you know, when, when Bon Jovi and Richie Sambora met uh, Desmond Child, it was came over, you know? Um, Def Leppard, Hysteria. An argument can be made for pirate py- for pyromania. You know, um, Iron Maiden, Number the Beast. You know that to me is that is the turning point of their career. That's career defining at that point.
1: I, I would agree. I mean, for for them, you know, switching singers and releasing an album as big as they did. You know, that's, that's one of those things like they, they increased in their, their scope after, you know, changing singers. And that's, that's a tough one because you have an established fan base. It's somehow you grew from there. So I would say that's, that's like their,
0: their moment. You know, it was either make or break in a lot of ways. Exactly, it, it was definitely make or break because we were like, all right, we're changing singers. We got, we got to do something, and okay. it's, it's literally we're changing singers. If it doesn't work on this one, we're fucked. Pretty <laughs> much. Yeah. So you know, Twisted Sister, Stay Hungry, um, Sepultura, Chaos AD. These albums defined their careers because yeah, Twisted Sister had gotten a record contract and and they had they had continued their career. But essentially, they were, at that point, they were still a freaking bar band out of New York. You know, but stay, stay Hungry put them on the map. Stay Hungry, you know, We're Not Gonna Take It, and I Want to Rock made them MTV Darlings, you know? Yeah. And then they screwed it all up the next two albums. You know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sepultura, KSAD, I mean, it had established them in, as, a, as an international act, you know, and allowed them to make roots. So, you know, that definitely is career-defined. Everything changed after KSAD for them. Um, see a couple other names here. I mean, Metallica, which, which album from Metallica to me, the black album career defining. Everyone sits there and say, oh, well, master puppets. No, nah, I don't think so. I really don't because they, they kind of continued that trend with Justice for all They they made another, you know, another banger of an album, but they changed the game when, when the black album came out. You I know? mean, I, I would, I would agree. My second choice is obviously Lulu, but uh, <laughs> leave my <yeah>. dog alone. <laughs> um, you know, and there's there's countless other bands. You know, it, the argument can be made: White Snake? Is it the 1987 album, or is it Slide It In? Because Slide It In, they changed they changed from what they were. You know, and to the point where where the record company was so happy with the album, they said, you know what, we need a better mix, and they brought it t- and they got a U.S. mix, and that. Changed the game for them. They went from being an extremely heavy blues-based rock band, you know, Deep Purple-ish, to being the band that they would eventually become an, uh, an album later. You know, obviously, 1987 changed the game. But I i don't know. An argument can be made between Slided In and, and White Snake. That album. I think White Snake. If I'm gonna pick one of the two, right? I, honestly, so,
1: too, because it's just it had the the hits it had the music videos right slide slide it in is great but like it it's that moment that even we we talked about it before with david coverdale like he was always trying to you know break america and that's the album that broke america and it did exactly what he wanted it had the music videos with uh tawny katane like if you think about white snake like there's that that you know you think about tawny katane you know and that's the music video now,
0: here i go again that version you know right exactly i'm looking at the the recording thing okay it's reconnected okay um so last but not least i i want to do well before when you were talking about tony katane and white snake and all that yes um the Slided In album, to me, I guess you could look at it as a bridge from the old White Snake to what the new White Snake would become. Um, so last but not least, I wanted to mention Aerosmith, because we talked about it briefly earlier in the show. Um, to me, they have two defining, uh, career-defining albums. To me, Toys in the Attic is, is what made them a household name in the 70s. Mm-hmm. They, they destroyed their career. They were nearly completely useless as a band heading into the beginning of the 80s they reunited <clears throat> in the mid 80s with joe perry and then they come out with let the music do uh done with mirrors which the big song was let the music do the talking which was actually a joe perry project song that gave them their career again and then uh they gave them their record contract again and then they come out with Permanent Vacation. Permanent Vacation, did really, really, really well. But to me, the one that, that just really, you know, made Aerosmith loved all over again was Pump. You know, that, that's my second, you know, for them, the second career-defining record. Um, and then after that, they had, you know, they, they became what they are now. So,
1: is there Yeah, a, I mean, for um, them, that was a tough one because they've had, you know, the like you said, two different careers. And, right. they, I mean, they... They kind of disappeared and then came back in a massive way. Massive way. Um, I and I don't even remember what was the album that they did that had all the Aeros, the Aerosmith songs. The the uh what was the Armageddon? All, they had all they all had Aerosmith songs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, um, the Armageddon songs uh just push play. Oh. That that was even in some ways a career redefining album. So they've had multiple moments in their career where you know, it just, it was like they've they have established themselves to multiple generations. Yes. Is there any other albums you want to mention? Honestly, not really. Um, I think for the most part, we covered it. At, at, and even we've mentioned other ones as we were kind of going. Um, I mean, Judas Priest, we, like, I, I guess I can wrap things up with them. Um, you could easily make an argument for British Steel or Screaming for Vengeance as their kind of career-defining album. I think there's two uh, schools of thought there where British Steel is an absolutely huge album, really put them on the map, but then you mentioned the same thought that I had was they followed it up with Point of Entry, and then when they hit uh, uh, Screaming for Vengeance, they never looked back from there. So, um, you know, to me, that's kind of the defining, like, they really established themselves as a metal band rather than just like a, you know, hard rock slash metal band.
0: Like screaming for vengeance to me is like true heavy metal. So, right. Exactly. Exactly the way I feel. Okay. So that brings us to our big four and our big four tonight is the big four life-changing albums for us, for you and I, um, that is these are very very personal to uh to to us um so these eight albums that we're going to discuss um is what what really made us i would assume was what made us metalheads so um i went first last week so it's your turn to go first i mean to, to some degree yes and and i think about this where where did
1: i get my love for metal you know um and there's there's a few things and i would say a lot of it came from 80s cartoons. A lot of them had, like, metal kind of soundtracks. And then, you know, TV shows. Like, the Power Rangers was very um, metal as a kid. Like, everything was, you know, guitar sweep arpeggios and stuff. You know, like, things that just made me so hype, right? And, and I found myself wanting heavier and heavier stuff as I got older but i think a lot of that evolved from kids shows in the 80s uh 80s that's 90s dis- that's
0: disturbing
1: why <laughs> i'm just kidding it's great so um but yeah so starting from my number 4 um is it's a compilation album and i got this i, I don't know in, in the late 90s i think um it was in one of those uh, what do you call it? Like, uh, what was the, the, you ordered the, the CDs and you got like 15 for a nickel Columbia house, Columbia house. Right. Um, this, this thing was called rock and the train kept a rolling and <laughs> listen to what's on it. So killing in the name by rage against the machine, wood, Alice and chains, black from Pearl jam, uh, Runaway Train from Sold Asylum, No More Tears, Ozzy Osbourne, Cult of Personality, Living Color, um, Learning to Fly from Pink Floyd, uh, Don't Stop Believin' from Journey, Breaking the Law, Judas Priest, Pump It Up, Elvis Costello, Surrender from Cheap Trick, uh, Cat Scratch Fever, Ted Nugent, Walk This Way, Aerosmith, uh, Don't Fear the Reaper, Blue Oyster Cult, More Than a Feeling, Boston, and i could go on there's there's all these really cool singles that a lot of the stuff i wasn't like really super familiar with even had like i ain't superstitious by jeff beck um so it got me into a lot of things that i had never really listened to before uh there was other crap on there that i didn't like so i'm not going to mention those um but you know some of these bands, I don't know if I would have heard as early in my life, like Alice Allison Chains, um, you know, was kind of off my radar because I, w- I was so young and, you know, the stuff that my parents listened to was so different. So finding albums like this sometimes were a gateway for me to find more bands. Um, and so, as silly as the album title is and it being a compilation, I think this was a, a huge impact on me uh my number three is death human um when i heard lack of comprehension the first time um i i just it was like a a catharsis like it was one of those moments where you just go like what what am i listening to i have to have this album now um human was you know not my favorite album from the band uh that i think probably symbolic probably still is my favorite album from from death um but human was just one of those things like i think you know going back to the career defining albums human was one of those that that like it bridged the mainstream it had their music video uh played by mtv It it was one of the, like it appeared on um beavis and butthead so you know, just having that that ability to have the mainstream appeal, and it opened like my ears up to just the heaviness that I always kind of craved. You know, the, so death, human, just super impactful on me. Uh, my number two is In Flames' Clayman, and I cite this one because it it was it was a moment like finding melodic death metal for me was. Just it was like eye opening in flames led me to several other bands um but it wasn't until clayman where my mind was just blown. I also met one of my best friends because of this album. I had seen them, and i I was wearing a t-shirt from the the uh tour of this show I mean of this album, and uh he walked up to me and he goes, Ah. Uh, clay man it's a great album they suck now but it's a great album and uh just that kind of interaction really made us friends and it was just uh you know my, my friend george to this day um known him for god, 20 years so um you know i would say definitely impactful on my life and my number 1 is going to be metallica and justice for all um that was an album i found kind of early into my metal um history i guess and i remember the first time i heard the the intro to blackened and i was like what what, what is this what what am i listening to this you know reverse harmony what what am i i have to have this and I listened to Blackened probably about 20 times. I was borrowing it on a friend's CD player and just listening to it over and over and over again. And it was my gateway into, like, you know, bigger, better things when it came to metal for me. You know, Meta- I was a huge Metallica fan for a long time. And I think a lot of people have that same kind of experience where they find Metallica and then it leads them into. You know other genres of metal as well because they are such a you know uh, accessible band um that for me it was it was like that moment of like yes i'm finally finding something that sounds like the stuff that i want to hear where do i get more of this and so it's always kind of been one of those albums that i have to give so much credit for in my metal genesis
0: Oh, sounds cool. I like that. Um, everything that you've listed here, kind of, I can, I can totally see, except maybe the rock and the train kept a rolling. But I, but I you understand. don't like the songs that. Oh no, no, that's why I can understand it. It's just the title so weird. The um, title's so dumb. But and I remember a friend of mine
1: laughing at it, like, what is, what is this?" And then I started listing off the songs that were on and he goes, "Okay, I
0: get it." Right. Yeah. No, the, the songs on there is outstanding songs. So it can easily influence you in a certain way. And a compilation like that is how I got to, to know um, Y and T mm, and their yeah. song mean streak because they had, um, they had that on there. I, I bought the compilation because of Dawkins breaking the chains was on there. And I had seen the video and I really liked it <clears throat> and I couldn't find the album anywhere. And that's, that's basically what it was for me.
1: I, I, I can't remember which specific song I want to say it was don't fear the reaper. You know, it it had become big on Saturday Night Live too, you know. And I don't know if that was before or after I got this, but I remember, you know, having it made me take more recognition of of Blue Oyster Cold. Like, oh, I know that song. That's hilarious, you know, and picked up more. So there's always these like little stories behind why you get into music. And it's always interesting.
0: Oh, absolutely. So that leads me to my four. Big four life-changing albums. So number four for me, and, and all of these are, are big names for the most part. Um, and all of them are pretty big albums, if you ask my if you ask my opinion. Um, but there's reason. So um number four for me, Iron Maiden Number of the Beast. It's the first Iron Maiden album that I purchased, and I had seen the video for Run to the Hills. I've seen the video for Number of the Beast. I thought this was so cool. I was like, I have to have it. And I remember jumping on uh, my grandmother's bed, and my aunt was visiting from upstate New York. And I go, check out this album. my God. you know, this is awesome. And, you know, I'm I'm bringing this Number of the Beast 666 thing to two very religious people. <laughs> <laughs> but they didn't say anything. And I'm surprised um, when I think about it. But they're like, oh, look at that, you know, and that was it. Um, but I mean that that album is just so good. I mean, it's my favorite Iron Maiden album beyond the fact that it was my first. Um, just songs like Children of the Damned, uh, The Prisoner, 22 Acacia Avenue, or I already mentioned Beast and Run to the Hills. Then it has my all-time favorite. Iron Maiden song with hollow Be Thy Name," uh, the 2022 version that they put out with um, live at uh, after. Uh, excuse me, um, the Beast over Hammersmith. They redid the the track listing and they added "Total Eclipse." That's a pretty good song too. So, uh, but I didn't know that song until much later because I didn't get the single right away. So, um so that's my number four album. My number three album, ACDC's Back in Black. I got into ACDC because I'm walking probably from the pizza place in New York where I grew up, which was about three or four blocks away from my house. And there's a movie theater right next to the pizza place, like maybe three doors down. I really didn't mean to say that, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think quite literally like three or four. But um, so this is, you know, the old school movie theater where they play one movie, you've got this big screen and you've got this big, place looks like a a place where, like an opera house right they have a balcony they have a second floor i mean it's that's the kind of theater it was and they're playing let there be rock the movie from acdc that came out in late 1980 and it's with bon scott no less i don't know anything about acdc at this time but i see this poster and it's got this guy with his guitar and he's leaning back and i, I i'm I want, I don't know what it was. Something attracted me and I said, I want to see this movie. So I go home and I said to my grandmother, I said, I want to see a movie over at Park Hill. That was the name of the theater. She goes, Okay. Uh, how much? I go, It's $5. Now, in 1980, $5 for a movie was crazy expensive. okay? Because like most movies at that time were like two, two, three, like the big blockbuster movies were three bucks tops, but this was five. So I go in there, I I slap down my five bucks. They give me a ticket that looks like a concert ticket. And I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. You know, I wasn't expecting a ticket back, but you know how when you go to movies, they give you a little stub? No, they gave me a ticket back that looked like a concert ticket. I'm like, oh, this is so cool. I wish I had that ticket today. Um, I go inside, and, I, and I've been in this theater before, you know, I've, countless times, because you know my my mom and my aunt would take me to the movies all the time. And they have these amps set up at the front to make it look like there's something going to happen live. They literally set up these. I remember distinctly they had like the same setup on both sides, and there was some like white amps as well as some some black ones. And then the movie plays, and I was blown the fuck away. By this movie i had to have acdc so what do i buy back in black (laughs) why because the first of all they didn't have let there be rock and so i said well i gotta get something so they had this big black album and i'm like oh this is so cool didn't know anything about the fact that bon scott had passed away (laughs) yeah different singer right and then for years i listened to this album thinking that back in black is the first song in the album for years i'm talking like probably 10, 15 years. I'm thinking that back in black is the first al- song on the album. And that, let me put my love into you is the last song on the album. Wow. Didn't, yep. Yep. For years, never noticed that it said side two <laughs> or B never noticed. I just put it on boom back in black first song. Well, your, your history with, with ACDC is just all <laughs> messed up. <laughs> all right. So that's my number three, number two so this is another strange story about how I got into this, but my number two uh, album is Metallica's ride the lightning. Um, I was working for an architect um, th- th- that had a side job. Basically he was trying to do his own thing in the evening time. So I was working for this architect from seven thirty to 11 o'clock uh, weeknights during school nights. Um, so, you know, that was uh, special all by itself. <laughs> and, um at the time one of the guys in my my class, his brother, uh was doing drafting. And so they hired me to go to work there. And I and I and I'm hanging out with this, my my for the most part, my best friend's brother. And we started talking about the kind of music that we like. And he was more into like the the punk-ish, uh, more of the, the new wave punkish scene, like you know, talking heads and, and some, a lot of the Ramones and Blondie and shit like that. And then uh a lot of college music too. And then I told him, no, I'm, I like, you know, I like uh, ACDC, Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, right? So he goes, man, if you like that kind of music, you should listen to this show called Hellhole on uh, WNYU. It's every Wednesday night. So I'm like, okay, I'll check it out. So uh, of course, I'm working Wednesday nights, right? So I, I, I go home the, the next day and I tell him, you know, when it gets to the following Wednesday, before I leave for work, I put on my cassette recorder and I don't know if I had a timer or what it was. uh, So I just, I think the show started at 10 o'clock. So I can't remember how it was. I got this, but I recorded the show and the next day when I got home from school, I put on the tape and I listened to it. And all of a sudden the, the, the the superbulous uh, DJ and our next song is Metallica whiplash. And Whiplash starts from Kill a Ball. I never heard any song in my life that was that fast at that moment. Never. And I was just glued to the radio. What is this song? And rewound it Whiplash, 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 Whiplash. I rewound it, and listen to it again and again and again. And I'm like, this song is amazing. I ran to my record store trying to find Whiplash. I cannot remember if if it was Ride the Lightning that I bought first or if it was the Whiplash single. because I'm pretty positive it was the Whiplash single that um, it was a special one. It was literally Whiplash because they had come out with Jump in the Fire as their big single, but Whiplash, they came out, it's exactly the same as a Jump in the Fire single, except they did a neck brace remix of Whiplash. I don't know what the difference is. I, I, I know there's some subtle differences, but realistically, it's just it's just sonic differences. Nothing in the mix itself or you know nothing like putting drums here and moving guitar there nothing like that but that i heard the song before i'm like okay so this is a great song i heard and now i hear Seek and destroy now i hear phantom lord those kind of like wow this is really cool but then i bought ride the lightning and i put that needle down on that first song and uh fight fire with fire comes on with that nice little acoustic intro and then it you know the drum roll in and it this amazingly fast song, which is now faster than Whiplash. I was like, holy shit. I was scared that that song was so fucking fast. I was scared. And I'm like, this is so cool. (laughs) Anyway, so that's my number two. And then number one for me, you mentioned it earlier. I saw a commercial in 1977. For a band named Kiss, releasing their second live album, Kiss Alive 2. You see the bombs, you see the smoke, you see the fire, right? They had a commercial for Kiss Alive 2 that, like, anybody would buy the record, no matter who. And I I made my aunt, I literally made my aunt buy it for me. Didi, can you buy me a record? Sure. Have her buy this one. And then I make her listen to it with me. <laughs> And she's like, did you ever hear these songs before? And I'm I'm sure I've said this story before on the show. I said, no, I've never heard these songs before. We sat down, we listened to a Detroit, you know, thing, you know, you wanted the best and you've got the best, the hottest band in the world, cheers, you know, all of a sudden Detroit Rock City starts playing and I'm mind blown, mind blown how amazing this was. And the energy doesn't stop. All the way through to the end until you get to side four, and then you get the four, the five songs that were studio tracks. Absolutely blown away. Those four albums changed my life. Kiss Alive 2 changed my life. It turned me into a metalhead because up until then, I was listening to Michael Jackson on WABC uh, AM radio. Okay. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, that's a change. Yeah. uh, Dude, the village people was big. I mean, disco. In 1977, disco hadn't hit, like, you know, it, it had hit some songs, like Saturday Night Fever was, was pretty big to Bee Gees. Um, I think it was not It was that year that everything had hit. Um, 78 was big, but when I heard Kiss Alive 2, it changed the game for me. And then I believe it would go from Kiss Alive 2 to ACDC to Iron Maiden to Metallica. But Kiss Alive and Metallica had the biggest impacts on me. It's
1: a great leap forward.
0: Yeah. (laughs) All right. We've been here a long time tonight. That's our big four life-changing albums. And that brings an end to this wonderful episode of debating metal. Remember you can listen to us every week on your favorite podcast platform. So click like, or subscribe so you can just wake up and we'll be there waiting for you to click play.
1: And don't forget, you can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can send us an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com. If you listen to us on YouTube, be sure to leave us a comment and ring that bell to be notified when we post a new episode. And remember to tune in next week when we spark up another exciting metal debate. On behalf of Kenneth and myself, stay safe, and always turn it up to 11. See
0: ya!